but there's a phrase that a teacher said to me when I was bringing some of my own difficult issues. And he said, yes, this is what you're here for. And it just knocked me out, like, like the truth of it, like, oh my God, I'm not a victim. This isn't happening to me. Like, this is what I'm actually here for. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. All right, so let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Sean Brawley. Sean has dedicated the past 25 years to helping people from all walks of life, elevate their performance and unlock their potential. As a facilitator and coach, he has custom designed highly unique experiential programs for many well-known organizations such as GEITT, the New York Yankees, San Diego Padres, Seattle Mariners, and the U.S. Tennis Association. Sean was also the primary mental coach for the USC football team for nine years and helped coach Pete Carroll and the Trojans win two national championships. He's back for part two, the great Sean Brawley. Sean, welcome, my friend. Thank you, Drew. It's always it's a pleasure to be here with you. All right. Well, it's it, it's wonderful to have you. Sean and I were talking a little bit off air here about an amazing new documentary, I guess, on uh, on HBO called The Weight of Gold. And we were talking about and Sean was talking about this whole notion that of this fantasy and this illusion that we all have that many professional athletes that we see you know, have it all together, that they've had, they have the inner, as Sean says, the inner realm all figured out. And Sean is going to talk a little bit about that and maybe how this can relate to, to everybody, whether we're, you know, not, not just the professional athletes out there, but, but, but everybody, Sean, what, what have you learned from, from that documentary, the weight of gold, and also just from your interviews with some of the great tennis players of all time? Yeah, well, happy to talk about that. Um, I was blown away by the Weight of Gold documentary, as I mentioned. And, you know, even though I've been in the this field for a long time, even I didn't realize, like, just how much pressure these elite athletes were feeling. Like, I mean, it really pulls back the veil of of the internal pressure that the athletes experience and um in the documentary which is narrated by michael phelps um they're like he had his own after you know even not, though he's able to win seven gold medals you know he talked about his problems getting arrested and his problems with alcohol and I didn't realize how many Olympic athletes killed themselves, how many, most of the 
athletes interviewed um, talked about, you know, really dark thoughts, depression. Um, and it was like, even, and like I said, it just, I think that really opened my eyes to just how much of a fantasy that I think we all are under that they have it all handled. And I think it's really relevant for the times because, you know, in the recent Olympics where Simone Biles uh, brought out her own mental health issues and decided not to even compete, that's like extraordinary. Naomi Osaka, you know, at first she was kind of ridiculed. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know her, she won the U.S. Open the previous year, last year, not this year. And, you know, had said earlier in this year that, uh, I guess prior to the French, that she didn't want to do interviews because it was just, it felt too uh, pressure filled for her. And so she was trying to manage her own health by saying, I, I don't want to do interviews, which of course is against the rules. And at first she was ridiculed, but then when it, it started to come out that you know, she actually is also after the U.S. winning the U.S. Open been suffering from bouts of depression and anxiety. And I think in this time of, I don't know why I just laughed, but in this time of COVID, I think this is highly relevant. I think that, and this is, was a theme of part one is, is to really acknowledge that a lot of people are suffering. It's not just these elite athletes who are trying to perform at their best, and some are actually doing it in spite of, you know, these feelings. So it's, I think it can be helpful to just even take that in and slow down for a moment. That these athletes that have honed their skills to such a degree that they're the very best in the world and that they're still battling these inner demons and tremendous internal pressure, I think it can allow us to realize we're all in the same boat, Drew. Mm. Absolutely. And, and I want to get more into that. Um, but as you said, um, as we were talking before, that you, you have seemed to notice in some of the athletes you've talked to is this whole notion of this breakthrough experience followed by a breakdown experience. And maybe if you could speak to what that is for, uh, for people. Yeah, uh, about four years ago in a special project for Wilson Racket Sports um, called Mental Readiness, I got a chance, really a lifelong dream to interview Roger Federer, Venus Williams, number one at the time, Simona Halep, uh, Greg Grigor Dimitrov, um, about 10 other pros, all of whom were ranked in the top uh, 20. Most of them were in the top 10. And I, I did, I noticed two patterns that actually relates to what I just said. One, the first pattern is a breakthrough. So um, each pro that I interviewed had their own individual unique breakthrough experience where when they had it, 
they felt in a whole body holistic way, I can do it. Like a, a realization that this dream they may have had for a long time, suddenly like, oh my God, I, I can realize this dream. Uh, as an example for Roger Federer, it was winning junior Wimbledon for, but, but for uh, say Gail Monfils, who was number five in the world at the time, he had won junior Australian, junior French, junior Wimbledon, and it hadn't done it for him. And he got to the junior US Open for the possibility, I think for the first time ever of winning a junior Grand Slam and he ended up getting injured. And Grigor Dimitrov, for instance, um, his breakthrough experience came winning a $10,000 tournament. And then he followed that up by winning like five $25,000 tournaments in a row. And that for him is you know what did it. But there was a second pattern that showed up, which I found fascinating, which is that within about uh, three to six or eight weeks after the breakthrough experience, a majority, about eight, maybe nine of the pros, um, experienced a, what could be called a breakdown. Um, and it one there's a, there's a these interviews are on the Wilson website in the section that they call the W Club, and it's really telling uh, the interview with Madison Keys. That's where it actually comes out, which really clearly, where she beats Serena Williams for the first time, breaks into the top 20, and then hurts her wrist, her right wrist, her playing wrist, in a, what she calls a very strange way. And she's suddenly not able to play. And as I was interviewing her, my intuitive voice thought to ask her, um, oh, the intuitive voice said, it's a gift. And so I said, you know, Madison, I get that that was a really tough time for you, but um, if it, I have a strange question to ask you, if this was a gift, what was the gift? And you can actually see her sit up straighter. She smiles and she said, oh, well, gosh, this was the first time that I couldn't play tennis, not because I chose to not play, but because I just couldn't. I was forced to, to take a rest. And in, in that time away from tennis, she noticed like four things. She said, first, I had time to reflect on this whole new world that I was now going to be playing in. Uh, she could, it was going to be more money, bigger tournaments, now playing tougher opponents on a more regular basis. She said, I could kind of visualize that. Um, and second, it, it just, put me in touch with how much pressure I'd been putting on myself that, that I thought was coming from the outside. My, my fans, the, the sponsors of the tournaments, my parents. And 
in this time off, I, re I, I realized that, that I, the pressure that I was feeling was coming from the outside. And then that seemed to open a door to her saying, you know, and in this, in this time off, I, I got back in touch with what was important in my life, my friends, my family. And this was the key. I rediscovered the joy of hitting a tennis ball. It still, still touches me even now when I say it. Um, the joy of hitting a tennis ball that I hadn't experienced since I was eight years old and first started playing. Mm. So I almost want to pause there just to let that sink in, but this is where the locus of control and this pressure suddenly comes from the inside out. And so when, when we're in touch with the meaning and purpose and coming from inside, from us, from this place that I would call you, you know, your real self, there is no pressure. There's very little pressure. And interestingly enough, given the title of the Phelps interview called Weight of Gold, Joseph Campbell actually calls this on the hero's journey where the hero suffers a wound. And when he gets the gold of the wound, it helps him on his journey to accomplish his ultimate task and mission. And I, after this was again four years ago, and I since, you know, looked and there's a lot of other athletes. This is true in life. We know, for instance, just as one example, that people who win the lottery usually go broke. The major, vast majority of people who win the lottery go broke within two years because they can't handle this pressure, this new identity that is suddenly thrust upon them and they, they can't handle it. There's too much pressure. So they have to do something to get rid of that. And that's, you know, spend all the money. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that was going to be the next, the next question. So maybe the first thing is to recognize, as you say, the pressure. And as this tennis player, you were saying, recognize that the, the pressure is actually coming from within, perhaps more so than without outside, even though there, there may be stuff going on on the outside. But how, how do we re-experience that joy of it? You know, for her, it was hitting a tennis ball, but how do we experience the joy of being a parent? the joy of going to work every day or, or, or whatever, taking a walk in the woods. How do we find that joy, Sean, when, when we are sort of turning up the, the intensity of this inner pressure? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a great question. And if I actually had, you know, an easy answer for you, I would probably be a billionaire. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know that there is a, a step-by-step process, you know, to do that based on my own experience. I, th I, I think that it's, uh, it, it's a result of, I mean, certainly there are times when we all can feel joy as a state that just comes up. You know, I've looked at this pretty deeply. So these states of joy are often times when I very spontaneously, without any effort suddenly appreciate, for instance, something 
that I have. It just happened a few days ago where I was looking at my 12 year old son and all of a sudden it just came upon me and, a, and arose in my consciousness just how much I love him and how joyful it feels to be his father. But it's not something I set out to do. It just came. And I think, which funny enough, and I hadn't actually planned to mention this, but there, oh, wow, that just, it, I'm reminded now of, <laughs> wow, this is very interesting. This, this, this is going to be big here, folks. <laughs> so I take it back. I think that I, I believe that once as a collective, we heal ourselves enough, I think you will start to see more practices of cultivating higher states of consciousness as a primary goal, not just dealing with the suffering and the pain and these internal pressures. Because what I'm, what I'm just, what's coming up for me right now is there are different, the different portals that athletes have. It's easy to take athletes as an example, Drew, because the environment is so crystal clear. We can see their performance. It's, you know, it's not over time. It's like right now. So for instance, here's a, here's an example is, uh, Sasha Cohen, you know, comes out of nowhere as an underdog to win the gold and is interviewed afterwards and says something to the effect of, yeah, you know, before my final performance, I, I just looked at out in the audience and I just felt so grateful to simply be there. I was just filled with gratitude at being able to just even be here. And I put that into my performance. So that state of gratitude allowed her to actually access a, par a part of her that I would call her higher self. I have collected interviews where pros, look, Madison, you know, say, I felt such joy. And I put that into my performance. I know from my own, you know, act playing in the zone experiences that they come spontaneously. They don't come at will. And anybody who says, you know, do my mental training and you'll play, you know, the best you've ever played and you'll enter the zone. That's just a crock of marketing crock of crap. You know, it, 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 there's nobody that can, you know, that can help you get into the zone automatically. It's just not possible. We can now for sure see it with the, uh, these athletes who have all the resources available. They're still dealing with their demons. They're still dealing with stress and trauma you know we know a lot now about trauma so yeah i'll stop there and see if you have any questions well sean the the, the one thing I, i'd like to go back to is you know you you said initially going back to the weight of gold documentary and and just this whole idea of the facade and the illusion of the like you said the athlete the professional athlete is the perfect example because on the field or on the court, 
they look like they have it all together. They look like they're in control. They look like they have it all going on. But as you said, if you if you look inward, there's you know they they don't have it all going on together. And I, and I would say most people. And I'm going to just point to myself here. Um, you know, I go to work and I do my thing, but there are days inwardly I feel like I I don't have it together. I feel like I'm a, I'm a wreck. Uh, I feel like I'm a train wreck. And I'd love for you to speak about um, vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my instinct, Sean, and I don't know if you feel this way, is to sort of you sort of power through it and not really reveal <laughs> my feelings much. But I'd love you to speak about maybe the power of vulnerability, just being able to talk about and share. Like earlier today, I was I was I'll, I'll, I'll say it right now, Sean. I mean, I was a mess and I just didn't I felt like a, just just I was on edge. Um, so I'd love for you to speak a little bit about, you know, this notion of vulnerability. Well, um, since you brought it up, <laughs> just notice what happens inside when I ask you, you know, are you willing to share and say more about what a mess you were earlier? I, I, I my, my thought is no, I don't want to share. <laughs> I don't want to go into too yeah, deep. Yeah, and 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 I should preface this by saying, like, that's your choice, and I'm not. That's you don't even have to. But the key is, how did you feel inside when I asked the question? Seriously, like, yeah, you can I, talk about that. When I asked, I felt, I felt, I felt nervous. I felt, um, you know, I, I, I felt like I want to hide. I want to hide a little bit more. I don't want to. I don't want to reveal. Yeah, all this stuff to to everybody. Yeah. So. You know, funny enough, The Power of Vulnerability is the title of a talk by Brene Brown that's since become pretty famous. But Mm -hmm. that's, you know, what she discovered is that what you just felt in that moment, that that nervousness, that wanting to hide and protect, this is welcome to our inner defense system. I mean, this is pretty powerful stuff. So this is why almost everyone says that what one of the most important things you can cultivate is courage or even bravery, because that is the first response. As soon as, because to get at the inner, to to develop inner skills and to explore what Tim Galway called the inner game means you're going to come face to face with your some demons some feelings inside that are difficult and we as a culture we don't really talk about it that much and it gets exacerbated for men because men have long been you know we have a culture of being tough and strong and um don't don't show your feelings you know Robert Bly just died uh, on the 23rd, uh, so you know, just a few days ago. He, so here's one of you know one of the pioneers of the men's groups and men really getting in touch with their inner feelings and and so yeah, it, it's I think that the thing to, again to realize is that we're all in the same boat and that there are no easy answers but i have traveled the path quite extensively so it still comes back to 
learning how to bring loving presence to what's arising in the moment. It's Eckhart Tolle's message of being in the now. That is one of the most difficult things we can do, but when we can be lovingly present with what's arising inside of us in the now, it's, it's, it's really, what I want to say is it's the antidote, but it's, it's, it's one of the most helpful things we can learn to do. And um, I, I've been practicing this for 10 years now, and it's still challenging when I speak to another about a challenging issue. I, some part of me that doesn't really want to do it at all, <laughs> mm. you know, and there's, and I see, I watch my own defense system say, talk too much. Like in, instead of feeling that nervousness that came up for you or the wanting to hide, which if we explore deeper would put you in contact with some part of you that feels shame or a feeling of being exposed and feeling threatened and unsafe, we don't really want to feel those feelings. Hmm. So it takes, it takes a lot of courage. So, so if we feel those, those unwanted feelings, Sean, we, we stay with them, we sit with them, we send love to them, even though sort of every ounce of our being wants to shove it away, you know, shove it under the, the, the covers or under the, you know, somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say this is where a process to understand that this isn't like, you can't just jump into the deep end right away and expect to stay with your difficult feelings and be able to be vulnerable. That this, this is where the practice comes in, I think. And so for instance, um, you know, at first, and you talked about it in the, just a few minutes ago about, you know, we go so fast that like, it's so easy. Our culture makes it quite easy to be, you know, as an example, to be very busy and not actually attend to these feelings uh, and our inner world, our inner experience. Um, so in, in terms of a process, there's first bringing awareness to it that, you know, that Right now, in this moment, I happen to be afraid, and I'm willing to acknowledge that. And then, you know, you can notice how there's a part of us that, part of me, let's say, that, oh, wow, yes, it's an unwanted feeling. So, gosh, what happens when what arises in us, we don't want and we reject. When we reject the present moment's experience, that creates tension and pressure. Hmm. And so this process of learning to just allow what comes up for us to be present in our consciousness, and sometimes it can be intense. And I spoke about that in the last uh, interview we had about stress tolerance and being a growing your capacity to handle the intense emotions. And so that's part of it is to be able to stay with. But, you know, so the next level is to just allow, but then there's this subtle, very subtle process of learning to welcome and then learning to embrace and then learning to bring love. And there, there are, these are steps. They're not, you know, sometimes you might experience loving some part of you that, you know, felt 
pretty rejected before, but a lot of times it's layer by layer process, step by step to get to this place. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I'm just soaking it in how you said, you know, we start by um, allowing and then moving our way up to welcome and then moving up to, like you said, all the way up to up through that love but it but it doesn't it doesn't love does you know if love may be step five but there are a few other steps in between and that's a beautiful way of that's a beautiful way of looking at it sean yeah so now watch and again this is a this is to just do a live example and get your real live experience of it so if i ask you again like are you willing to share with us what you, you said about earlier about you know being really messed up and i said to you you know drew your nervousness and your wanting to hide is very welcome here mm. what do you what do you notice what happens inside for you uh, that that changes things i i how does it change it for you it, it changes in that i'm i'm not I feel that I'm not trying to just sweep it away. I'm I, I'm willing to sit with it for a little bit. Um, yeah. So uh, that's yeah. so that's so that's what we need to learn. Basically, mm -hmm. we need to learn to just sit with it and allow it and welcome it. And and so that's what you know. That's the practice that I've engaged in quite extensively for ten years is people like helping each other do that. And then we get better at doing it by ourselves, but it's much easier in the meantime to do it with other people. Mm. And that's what I call co-presencing. And it's a very helpful practice. It's, it's one of the most helpful practices. For instance, in the last call, I think I said meditation was like number one. Now there's no question. I co-presencing, practicing with other people to be present in the now, in the face of difficult situations and feelings that arise in our lives is one of the most helpful practices i've i've found so sean is this something you'd go to a group or, or is this the type of thing where you could sit down with just a person um i mean do, do people get trained in this or do you or do you just sit down and have a conversation with someone and yeah there's a there's a few teachers out there and there's there's my teacher is uh, that i've been working with for 10 years is stephen busby and people could go to his website, stephenbusby.com. He offers some online training. He's not training anyone specifically to like do this work, but you do it because it's helpful. His teacher was a man named Thomas Hubel, who's actually gotten pretty well known. And um, uh, yeah, he's, and I, I so, you know, if your listeners haven't been as fully aware of the trauma research that's out there, I, I believe more and more this is, you'll hear, you'll, this is the cutting edge. This is the, like, Gabe, um, what's his name? Gabriel Mate or Gabor Mate. He's, he's another one that, Peter Levine, you know, this, the, the people that have been studying trauma research have developed practices 
that are really helpful for people who have trauma, have suffered trauma in their life, which turns out is most of us. And we, you know, we don't think of like when we hear that word, we think of being in an auto accident or in the war, in a war or whatever, and, you know, PTSD, but it turns out that, you know, it can happen in what they call early developmental, chronic early developmental trauma, where we're simply put, we're not getting our needs met as a child, as an infant, or we're abandoned or abuse of some kind that's chronic over time and then that lodges in our system one of the one of the top three books on the new york best times bestseller list for the last year is um Besser van der kolk's book uh the bodies keep the score the body keeps the score so this is you know this, i think this is a burgeoning field that is going to start mm, I'm pretty convinced it's going to start merging into even the, like the high performance training, the mental training, because these athletes, when I heard the athletes, it's one of the first times where I actually felt an impulse of like, I can help, like not to make money, not to become well known for working with Olympic athletes, but literally, oh my God, I know I've learned something and I'm as an athlete myself, like I know that what I've learned could help them and and I think so I think that this co-presencing practice is one of those practices that can help with some of our own inner traumas that's great and we'll link up in the show notes Sean so people that want to contact you maybe for coaching or or, or whatnot or learn more about it um, they can always go go to your website and check you out uh, Sean a few final questions here in your eyes, what does it mean to be human <laughs> in 2021? Wow, what a giant question. Uh, you know, I, I'm not even sure you have to necessarily uh, name a year, you know. Um, what's the first thing that comes? So if I just go with what comes up for me very spontaneously, um, we've been discussing it for sure. But there's a phrase that a teacher said to me when I was bringing some of my own difficult issues. And he said, yes, this is what you're here for. And it just knocked me out, like, like the truth of it, like, oh, my God. I'm not a victim. This isn't happening to me. Like, this is what I'm actually here for. I am here to raise my consciousness level. I am here to become more loving. I am here to really have an inner experience of life and not go, you know, go, whatever, go over it, like, cover it up, like, mm. this is what I'm here for. And, you know, the deeper I go, the more my outer life gets better and better. Without setting any goals, without trying hard. 
it's really an extraordinary been an extraordinary journey so far mm. and uh, it's it's what for me is you know i realized once i realized this was the meaning and purpose of my life that it wasn't actually getting somewhere <laughs> it was it was actually diving in and that there's there really isn't an end to it so there's nowhere to go you can't it just keeps opening up more and more stuff that i just find so fascinating and so fulfilling and meaningful Sean, it's been a pleasure. We've known each other for about 11 years when we made that first documentary, The Great Lesson. And yeah, we did it. We did a part one about a year ago. Part two, I'm sure there'll have to be a, a part three now. But Sean, it's great. Uh, it's always great to chat with you for a little bit. Yeah, thanks for having me, Drew. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone. 